Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. If you are new to North Bible Church, my name is Chad. I have the privilege of being lead pastor here. I hope that you guys uh, have a great, encouraging, blessed morning with us uh, as you uh, visit with us. The verses we just heard are from the book of Galatians. We've been going through the book of Galatians. Uh, Again, this was a group of Christians, modern-day Turkey, the region of Galatia, ancient Galatia. And uh, God had the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write these words to this church. And uh, this church was struggling with many different aspects of walking out their faith. And they had a group of people um, that had infiltrated the church and was uh, introducing incorrect doctrine and spiritual thinking into the mix. And God was trying to correct their course through the Apostle Paul. And one of the issues that this church was struggling with was trying to live life basically between two extremes. One extreme was hyper-religious, legalistic thinking and beliefs. And what that would look like, that, that slavery, that enslavement uh, that we keep hearing about. And the other was basically um, just, just setting it up. No, no conviction, living in sin, living in their old ways with no surrender to the Lord. And I think we can relate to that. Because a lot of times we too find ourselves trying to live our lives between two extremes. Trying to find a healthy path forward between two extremes. Uh, On one end, maybe it's you are just hyper busy. You are so busy, you have no margin, especially if you're uh, young parents with little kids or sports or all these things. Like You feel like, man, I don't get a breath. I am just so busy on one hand. Or you're on the other extreme going, man, I just feel lazy and unproductive. And we, we try to live our lives somewhere in the middle of that place, right? Or maybe with our finances. On one hand, just reckless you know, living, we just, you know, throw money at everything, uh, ridiculous amounts of debt, we're just in an unhealthy place financially, or we're on the other extreme of trying to pinch every penny, and there's just no margin for any fun expense or life-giving purchase, right? Like, both of those are, are not good. You got to find a healthy place forward. Or, or maybe it's the, the one extreme of just <laughs> no discipline in eating, no discipline in exercise, where, you know, our bodies are just really going, what the heck are you doing to us, all right? Versus we obsess over every bite and every morsel of food and we're obsessed with image and physique and like these are unhealthy extremes. But we have to try to find a middle ground. When I think about trying to live um, with a faith-filled perspective of living between two extremes, one of the um, journeys of my life that comes to mind is related to alcohol. And like many of you, I was raised with alcoholism in my family. And so when I came to faith in Christ, um, really, as I started to grow in Christ, I gradually became legalistic in my view on alcohol. So obviously, uh, being in in the presence of of unpleasant memories and moments in my upbringing where alcohol created those, that was there. And then I looked at all the Bible verses that that spoke to a negative view of alcohol, and, and I just went, you know what, we're not supposed to touch it. And I I would be offended by anybody who drank as a young adult, even those who landed in a place of healthy moderation and and, and a a place of appropriate uh, enjoyment of an adult beverage, I would still be offended in the present in addition to those who were obviously abusing it. 
by the grace of God, I never went to the other extreme where I came to a place of, you know, indulgence and, and abuse of alcohol in my own life. But finally, over, over time, Christ continuing to work on my life and my heart, and as my, um, my, my spiritual maturity came online, I think I landed in a biblical place of biblical maturity to um, look at a biblical stance on alcohol and a, a view of moderation, not intoxication, right? That's, that's what I would argue is a biblical understanding of, of alcohol is moderation, not intoxication. That's what the Bible teaches. And, and, and God gave me a love for not only those who were abusing alcohol, but also for those who knew that they were operating in mature uh, Christian um, health. And so that, that, that was just me trying to live between two extremes as I was walking out my faith journey. And that's how freedom in Christ works. It grows a love in us that frees us to let Christ work in us and change us and grow us as we're trying to live between these two extremes. In fact, the big idea for us this morning I want to rally around is this. Our freedom in Christ fuels a love for God and a love for others. That our freedom in Christ fuels this love for God and love for others. That's what I want to highlight today as we continue in our series, our fall series through Galatians. So let's turn in our Bibles to the passage that was read earlier. You might already be there. Galatians 5, verse 1. And we're going to look at these verses and move through them and unpack them. And when you look at Galatians 5, 1, it's really a great summary of the whole book of Galatians. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians, as a book of the Bible, has this very strong theme of freedom. That's the reason this teaching series was called No Going Back. Because once Christ has freed you from legalistic religious thinking, freed you from a spiritual insecurity, has freed you from a, a, a life dominated by sin, why would you want to go back? And so the, the language here is this yoke. Why would you submit again to a yoke of slavery? Um, I used this uh, earlier on in the series, but I wanted to bring it back just to make sure we're on the same page. When we talk about a yoke, right, we're talking about this device that was created to, to be put on a beast as a burden-carrying device to pull a burden. And when we find ourselves enslaved to our sin, we're under the yoke of our sin. We're a slave to our sin. We bear the burden, the weight of our sinful life and the consequences that come from it. If we're raised in a strong, legalistic, uh, spiritual culture, then you're under this yoke of, of religious thinking, and you are not going to be right with God unless you do one of these hundred things or all of these hundred things, and we find ourselves under this yoke, and God wants us to be freed. And that freedom fuels this love for God. It's hard to love God when you feel like he's trying to put one of these on you, right? On the contrary, he's trying to release you and free you from one of these. And so that freedom in Christ fuels love for God, and it will fuel a love for other people as well. That's what we're looking at today. And so today what I want to point out in these verses is this, that uh, our faith in Christ frees us from two bad paths to one good path. Obviously, our faith in Christ does so much more, but in this text, I want to point out how Christ frees us from two bad paths to one good path. The first bad path is this, faith in Christ frees us from legalistic religion. So there was this group of people that had infiltrated the church. Pop quiz, what are they called? They're called the what? 
You, you almost sound lack of confidence there. What is it? Judaizers, right. They basically were teaching those early Galatian Christians in the first century, it's so good you have Jesus. Like this faith in Christ is great, but really you're not truly right with God. You're not truly saved. You don't truly have salvation unless you have Jesus and you practice the Jewish faith. So we see this word circumcision. That's always a lovely word to encounter in your Bible reading time, right? Right? Circumcision, but when you see this word circumcision, it pertains to obeying all the Jewish law. All the Jewish customs is summarized by that, especially for men being circumcised as an act of their faith. And so they're saying you have to do all that to really be right with God, to really have salvation. But this isn't biblical. It was never taught by Jesus. And it's not in part of the gospel. And it's not a biblical teaching that in order to be made right with God, this was going to be required in addition to following Christ. So look at verse 2. It says this. Uh, God speaking through Paul says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Paul is continuing, like we've seen for weeks now, to hammer on this message that if somebody wants to be made right with God, to receive forgiveness, right standing with God, to be justified is the biblical word, through religious law-keeping, then they've got to get 100%, 100% of the time. You have to get 10 out of 10 all the time. A plus all the time. Now you know why that's called a yoke. That's not possible. That's why the Lord sent Christ. The law was there to show us that we can't do that. It's not sustainable. We may have wins in different seasons of our life, but at the end of the day, we're not going to get 100%, 100% of the time. We're not going to get 10 out of 10 all the time. We're not going to get an A plus all the time. But Jesus, who was God in the flesh, who lived a perfect life, the life we were incapable of living, was the only one worthy enough to be able to die for the sins of humanity. He took the yoke upon himself on the cross. And then it's belief in Christ, belief through Christ that frees us from that legalistic, unbiblical stance that you have to be made right with God through whatever you can do rather than what Christ has done. He continues to hammer on that. And this is Paul's point. If we have to contribute even the smallest fraction to our salvation, then Christ has no advantage to you. The life of Christ, no big deal. It's cool he did those miracles. That's awesome. He was special. Uh, his death just becomes another sad story of one of many martyrs who died for their cause. You have no advantage by being a follower of Christ if you add 1% to your salvation. He's of no advantage to you. And so Jesus became just another martyr who died for his cause. That's why the next verse is so heavy. Look at verse 4. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. That's a heavy verse. That's a sobering verse. You here refers to anyone who is trusting in anything other than faith alone in Christ alone. If you have been severed from Christ, that means you have also been severed from salvation. You've been severed from forgiveness. You've been severed from heaven. 
you do not have forgiveness of your sins. Why? Because you have fallen from grace. One of my favorite acronyms for grace is G-R-A-C, is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God's free offering of forgiveness and salvation through the death of, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you are trusting in human works, not God's grace, then you're trusting in your own efforts rather than what God has already done through the cross of Christ. And so um, this, is not, this is not a teaching. This is a, a lot of people, and this is a whole other sermon, a lot of people like to pick Galatians 5, 4 as their pet verse for saying you can lose your salvation. That, that's not what this verse is saying. We don't believe that you can actually come to true repentance and true faith in Christ, and that's, that's lost at some point. We don't have to live under that kind of spiritual insecurity. That's a whole other time. But basically, when grace comes, and you are hearing about God's grace, and you're hearing about freedom in Christ, and you refuse that instead because you would rather work for it on your own, you've you just fallen from grace. You've rejected it, and therefore you are severed from Christ. Um, I, I didn't originally have these in my notes, but I just kept feeling the strong prompting to go after this because I'm pretty confident there's a few of you going, but how do I know if I'm doing that? How do I know if I'm trusting in my human works? How do I know if, if, if I can be spiritually secure? And so I want to go back to two questions that have been around for decades. Um, I remember hearing them as a kid. And they're called the two diagnostic questions. And they help us first assess our confidence in if we really know the Lord, and secondly, in who we're actually trusting in to be made right with God. So the first question goes something like this. If you were to die today, do you know for certain that you would have eternal life, that you would go to heaven, that you're forgiven? There's usually three answers to that. Yes, I do feel confident in that. No, I don't. Or you know, option C, I hope so. And so that, that diagnosis helps you understand your confidence level. Yes, I know without a shadow of doubt that if I were to die today, I'd be in the presence of God, no doubt. Second, uh, no, I don't have the confidence. Third, I, I hope so, right? Which one would you say? Which one would you say of yourself? I will say this, if you say no, we say, I hope so. Please don't leave this building today without talking to me or some other folks to say, hey, how can I move from I, <laughs> I hope so and no to yes? And we'd love to share more about that with you. The second question goes like this. If you were to die today and you stood before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? That's the golden question right there. That question shines a light on who or what you're actually trusting in to be made right with God. Let me tell you what most people typically say when you're having this conversation. They say something like this. Well, it's because I have tried to live my life the best I can. I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to make good choices. I've gone to church. I've given money to good causes and to the church and to generosity. Um, I've tried to be a good parent. I've tried to do this and on and on and on. What's the one word you keep hearing over and over and over again? What's the word? I. So then, therefore, who's your savior in that scenario? You are. I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. That's not trusting in Christ, that's being under the yoke. That's being under the yoke. And so you have to come back to this understanding of, the, no, this, this is a grace offering from God. And when we understand that, it fuels a love for God. Like, we don't come to Christ because we're terrified of him. It's, it's okay to have a healthy fear of God. Like, that's where, that's where it starts, Right? that we're accountable to someone bigger and greater than we are. Uh, it's okay to have a healthy fear of hell. None of us wants to spend eternity there. But that's not what really triggers, like, I want to follow Jesus. 
It's that his grace and his love is so compelling. We, we, are, we are in awe that despite all of our failures and flaws, he'd still take us and still love us and still want us and can transform us and change us. And that, so this, this freedom in Christ fuels a love for God. I'm so grateful for who he is and for what he's done. And that also doesn't just feel a greater love for God, but a desire to be with him and to be intimate with him. Verse 5 in Galatians 5 says this, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Everyone say faith. Everyone say spirit. Everyone say righteousness. Good job. When we place our faith, our trust and belief, in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in us, and then the righteousness of Jesus is applied or given, or a big fancy Bible word, imputed to us. It's called the great exchange. That when we come to faith in Christ, we give him our sin, and in return he gives us his righteousness. And all of that weaves this intimate connection with God here, now, in this life, and one that will continue on forever, for eternity. This is a beautiful, um, stunning realization in all that we receive when we come to faith in Christ because of what he has done. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, not for his sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are not righteous on our own, and we can never become more righteous on our own effort. Our only hope to become more right with God, more righteous in our thinking, attitude, posture, attitudes, is Christ working through us through the Holy Spirit. His righteousness applied and working through us. So all of that is reinforcing Paul's point here that legalistic, religious, spiritually enslaving practices do not make us free or righteous. They enslave. And they also produce unnecessary fear, unnecessary guilt, spiritual insecurity, rather than peace and assurance. It's, it's terrible that so many people are living all over the world with whatever spiritual faith system they've ascribed to, with this, I hope I've done enough mindset. Where's the peace in that? Where's the hope in that? Where's the joy in that? Like, hey, at the end of the day, I just hope I did enough. Christ came to free us from that. And when you put your full faith and trust in Christ, not 90% Christ, 10% yourself, not 99% Christ, 1% yourself, not 50-50, when you fully put your faith and trust in Christ, it frees you from that. And that freedom fuels a greater love for God. And so being accepted and forgiven by God is based on his character, not ours. Which makes verse 6 make more sense. Look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. See, Paul doesn't have an issue with circumcision. He's Jewish. He's been circumcised. Most of the early church was Jewish. They were circumcised. That's not the issue. The issue is the motive. The issue is the requirement that other people are saying is still necessary to be made right with God. Now, we're starting to get that sense after weeks now, like this is enslaving. 
that all you need is freedom, grace, trust in Christ, receiving Christ, and other people are trying to impose unnecessary requirements and muddying up the water. And so works uh, is, is not the way to the Lord. And here's the thing. Works isn't an issue for us. We are actually saved by Christ for works. Good works is part of the Christian living. We're just not saved by works. We're saved for works. That's how God arranged that. And one of the works that comes from us and from our faith is love, as we're seeing in this passage. Faith working through love. Faith is a result of God's love for us, but also faith results in our love for the Lord. That's why we say our faith in Christ fuels a love for God. And the Galatian church started with this understanding, but they just started listening to false teachers. Look again at verses 7 through 10. Paul says you were running well, right? Like you got it. You were, you were tracking just fine. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. He said, man, you were tracking, you were doing great, and then all of a sudden this, this false teaching was introduced and it started causing problems for you. The reason that a lot of people like myself and other pastors and other staff members here and, and, and other churches as well are always cautioning you about who you're listening to. Like what teacher... Bible teachers or spiritual teachers are you listening to on YouTube, podcast? What are you reading? Because a little false teaching gets in there. Just a little bit. Will Jesus die to make you healthy and wealthy? Really? Please show me that Bible verse because that's not what it says. Right? It's just a little bit, but you got some people going, that's right. That's right. God doesn't want me to have pain. God, God doesn't want me to have suffering. So the suffering Savior who suffered on the cross doesn't want you to ever suffer? There's no lesson for us? There's no growth in our life on the other side? That's, that's what the Bible teaches? No. It's a little bit of yeast gets into the dough. It works its way through the whole thing. You have to keep your head on a swivel all the time with all the false teaching. There is not a week that goes by that you probably don't hear false teaching, right? From a friend, from a family member, from something you're listening to, and hopefully you're catching that. You're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's actually not biblical. And so Paul says, don't let the persuasion come in and take you off base. And, and this is very heavy. He says, the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. God does not take false teaching lightly. The men and women that have permeated false teaching for centuries are not going to get a slap on the wrist from God one day. Well, you just shouldn't have done that. All those thousands of people that you led astray, just, that just wasn't good. I'm not happy. I just want you to know I'm displeased. That's not the posture that God's going to take with false teachers. In fact, if we go to 2 Peter 2.1, it says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift, what? Destruction. 
So you can look at hell, you can look at earthly consequences, whatever it looks like, God is not going to let the false teachers go unpunished. And so it's our responsibility, though, to make sure we catch it and we don't buy into the false teaching. Let God deal with them. And so the devil's going to use false teachers to lure you off the path of truth, off the path of biblical um, beliefs and understanding. Don't give in. And what we see here is Paul's also acknowledging that when we stand in the freedom we have in Christ, right? Paul was preaching freedom. He was getting backlash from it. His character was being slandered. His authority was being questioned. And so he, was, he, he, he frequently spoke to that. And it says uh, here in verse 11, but I, brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I, st- why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Paul was persecuted for preaching faith alone and Jesus alone. If he had preached works, he wouldn't have got persecuted. I want you to think about that. What if you dedicated the next week of your life to go out and talk to as many people as possible and tell them the only way they will ever be made right with God is if they trust in Jesus Christ and there's no other way. Go do that for a week and see how that goes. Then spend the week after that, and please don't do this, by the way, but if you were to, take the next week and go out and tell everybody, like, hey, the only way to be made right with God is if you make sure you're living a good life and you're doing the right stuff. Which message will probably be more accepted by people? Which one? The second, the latter. You will get pushback for preaching the truth. Paul refers to it here as the offense of the cross. The cross is offensive. Here's why. In our sinful state, in our pride, we don't want Jesus to have done it all. We want to contribute. We want to have a pat on the back from God. We want to feel like we contributed. There's a good, well-intentioned part of that, but there's also an ego-feeding, prideful uh, motive there. The reason that some of you or some of your family have not surrendered to Christ is because you want what you want, and you want control. They want control, and the cross is an offense because it says you have to give up control. You have to fully trust in what happened on these two wooden beams. And deep in our spirit, and deep in the spirit of a lot of our loved ones, there's something going like, I just, I just don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that. But once you do, the freedom, the joy, the awe, all comes online. Now, Paul says something very shocking regarding the false teachers of his time that were imposing circumcision for salvation. He says in verse 12, with those who unsettle you, right? These false teachers are teaching you, you've got to be circumcised to be right with God. He says, with those who unsettle you, I wish they would emasculate themselves. Led by his fierce devotion to the simple truth of the gospel, Paul's disdain for anyone trying to add to uh, the gospel, he makes this very graphic statement. For those who are so insistent that circumcision is required for salvation, go even further in your religious devotion. Just go ahead and castrate yourself. Because if cutting off a little bit of flesh pleases God, then maybe 
uh, if you want to be really righteous, then cutting off more would be even better, right? Right? A little awkward there. But the spirit of that is like, oh, if baptism is required, then just drown yourself. Because wouldn't more water be better than a little water? Oh, if communion is required, then eat yourself and drink yourself into a coma. Because more communion is going to be better than a little communion, right? That's the spirit of all of this. If fasting is required to be saved, then just starve yourself to death. That's the spirit. And it's shocking because it makes us realize, oh, this, this doesn't make sense. And Paul's going, exactly. It's what Christ did, not what you do. And he's so irked by those who are preaching a different message, and he comes out. I love the humanity that we see in Paul there in that moment. But we see this freedom. Christ's freedom frees us from this path of religious legalism. But sometimes people take freedom to a different extreme and start to abuse it. And it sounds like this. If I receive Christ, then I'm just free to do whatever I want. I'm free to sin it up. And so faith in Christ also frees us from a license to sin. Not only from legalistic religion, but also from a license to sin. Look at verse 13. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Faith in Christ does not give us a pass to indulge in sin or to live with unrepentant sin to abuse God's grace. Our freedom in Christ lets us walk without guilt or shame or fear of eternal consequences, but we still are to live lives pleasing to God and trying to live to the moral expectation that he has placed in our lives. Let me, let me go back to the alcohol example um, just since I started with that. Many believers feel the freedom to get drunk because, you know, hey, grace, Right? But yet, God has said in his word, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine. He says, don't get drunk. So anytime a believer gets drunk, it's disobedience. Well, but we have grace. Well, it's like, no, no, no. It's just, it's just disobedience. And it leads to reckless living, but instead be filled with the Spirit. That right there is where God's word teaches moderation, not intoxication. So we don't have a license to sin. And by the way, we're master manipulators, right? Like, well, if you want to be biblical, Pastor Chad says, don't get drunk with wine. I get drunk with beer, so I'm off the hook. (laughs) No, you know better. You know the spirit of the verse. Here's why. God wants us to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit all the time. And the second we take in a substance in our body, which starts to control our body, we are no longer under the influence of the spirit. We're under the influence of the substance. And that's not God's will for our lives. And it stunts our spiritual growth. It stunts our spiritual witness. It stunts our potency of living for the gospel when we work those little levels of manipulation. And so, yes, being forgiven by God is based on his character, not ours, but it still changes our character. We still have to become more Christ-like. And so if you love Christ, you're going to see sin differently. And you're going to start to hate the sins that once just ran rampant in your life and in your body. And so we just need to make sure that we're living that sanctified life, free from the slavery of sin. That's what God's called us to. So Christ, uh, the gospel frees us from a uh, 
legalistic religious mindset. It frees us from a license to sin mindset. So that's what the gospel frees us from, but it frees us to something else. It frees us to live a life of love. Right? We looked at verse 6, how our freedom in Christ fuels our love for Christ, but also when we understand what Jesus has done for us, when we receive Christ, it also transforms how we treat others. Look at verses 13 to 15. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So we see here that once we start to follow Christ, he makes us less selfish, more selfless, he, he cultivates a greater love for other people, not just people that we like and who are like us, but people who we have a hard time with. People that are our enemies, people who are difficult. God gives us a heart to love them, have compassion for them, have pity for them, uh, to desire good things for them. That's a supernatural transformation. And we start to love others and serve others. So we don't really add works of love to our faith. It's our faith that produces works of love. And our freedom of Christ fuels our love for others, and that love will cause us to serve them. There are times when you find yourself doing acts of kindness for people that maybe you wouldn't have done before because you love them in a different way because Christ is now in your life. And so we, we start to love and serve those who are difficult. We love and serve just the stranger, the foreigner, and we start to love and serve those within the family also. The love for one another increases as we interact with our brothers and sisters of Christ and we start to serve one another. And I just, I just want to say thank you, North Bible Church, for faithfully serving one another. When we look at all of our ministries, men's, women's, children's, young adult, worship, you know, serving inside the church walls, serving outside the church walls, like right now we have right around 127 people faithfully serving. And that's, that's great, but that's motivated by love. And so thank you for serving, but thank you for loving each other, prompting that type of service. And thank you for loving those who don't know the Lord yet, outside the church, and serving them because you love Christ. And so we see this, like we are freed to love and serve one another. John 13, 34, 35 says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. That's what Jesus said. And so the, the, the gospel has freed us to love one another like that. If we don't, the imagery here is very interesting. It says you're going to bite and devour one another. When you look at the original language, this is the kind of photo that comes to mind. Like if we're not going to let the gospel work its way into our life, we're going to quickly... Uh, fixate on that which divides us, steps on our toes, uh, is irritating to us, and we're going to bite and devour one another. But when we apply the loving and serving that we've been free to have, the picture that probably Christ has more for us is something more like this, right? Like we're together, enjoying each other, loving one another, serving one another, and, and there's peace and there's harmony amongst the body. And so faith in Christ frees us from religious legalistic religion that frees us from a license to sin and frees us to a life of love. 
Sometimes what helps us understand that better is hearing how coming to Christ transforms us in someone's life and how that, how that actually has taken place for someone else. And so today I've invited uh, one of our North family members, Reagan Anderson, to come up and just share a bit of his story about how all this has happened for him, just to get a picture of what it looks like when Jesus transforms a life. So Reagan, I know you're in here somewhere. Reagan, come up. Would you guys welcome Reagan up here this morning? Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so I just want to share what God's done in my life and um, how he saved me. So um, I grew up in California. I grew up in a um, Christian home uh, where we went to church every Sunday. And I went to the Christian school that was affiliated with the church. And um, so in my mind, I had an idea of what Christianity was. And... You know, it was about doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. And as I started getting older, um, I became curious as to what the world had to offer. I felt like I was missing out. And um, so I began to, you know, explore and uh, hang out with the wrong people. Um, I started doing drugs. And at first, I think that there was a... Uh, a false sense of freedom that I had where I was in control of my life. I was doing what I wanted to do. And uh, I was deceived because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I was headed down that path of destruction. Um, I couldn't stay in, sc in school. I kept getting in trouble with the law. And um, the people that I found myself surrounded with were you know, people who would just take advantage of me and vice versa. And so this went on for many years. And uh, I'm convinced that, you know, I know that I had a lot of people praying for me. And um, I'm convinced that that is why I'm alive. That's why I'm not in prison today. Um, and I also am convinced that that's why I kept getting in trouble, because God wasn't going to let me you know, go down that path. And so um, one night I found myself, I was hanging out with this guy and we were, um, you know, we did a, did a bunch of drugs and we were just really high. And um, he had pretty much passed out and I was just sitting there and uh, I couldn't even really like formulate a thought or complete a sentence. Um, but I had everything that I thought that I wanted, um, but it just wasn't satisfying me. And so in that moment, I, again, I, I know it's the prayer that was going up for me because in that moment I considered the God that I had grown up hearing about and um, he just surrounded me with love that so unexplainable because I had nothing to offer. I was so broken and um, but I was ready to surrender at that point because I was not capable of, of living my life, of making decisions for myself and so um, that night changed everything for me experiencing the love of God that um, you know when we're at our worst he's there and loving us and um, 
he just wants us to give ourselves to him fully. And so he completely changed me that night, um, softened my heart and caused me to view myself differently, to view others differently. And uh, it was a radical transformation. Um, but there was a lot of ups and downs for a couple years where um, I was just <laughs> learning how to navigate this new life. And so uh, eventually I entered Teen Challenge, which is a faith-based rehabilitation center and went through that for about a year and a half. And then shortly after that, um, the Lord blessed me with my wife, Grace, who's uh, the most amazing woman that I've ever met in my life. And uh, then the Lord blessed me with a, a good job that you know provided stability and allowed us to purchase a home. And a couple years ago, um, we had our daughter, um, Lennon, so um, she's just been such a joy, and now um, we have a baby boy expected in about a month, so God has just, uh, he's been so good to me, and um, he's been faithful when I've been faithless, because, you know, I'm not a finished product by any means, um, but the story isn't about me, it's about a God who leaves the 99 to chase after the one. And so I just want to encourage you all today to give him everything because this world has nothing to offer us. And, you know, in my story, in my life, it, it may have looked extreme, but even the seemingly harmless things of this world have nothing to offer us. And ultimately, um, we're all going to die someday. And the only thing that will have mattered is what we did for eternity and how we lived for his kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. So. Thanks, Randy. Appreciate that. Yeah. I'm going to invite the worship team up, join uh, Reagan and I up here. But um, got, got to spend a little bit of time with Reagan recently. And just, I could tell, this is a man that God's touched and changed. You can tell there's a love for God that once wasn't there. There's a love for others and a love to serve on the team and in the, in the church that just once wasn't there. And so I hear, you know, I used to think, you know, being a Christian was all about doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. There's that, it's the list. You know, Christ has freed us from the list. Oh, I used to think it's just do what I want, how I want, justify it. Nope, that's enslaving too. And Christ has freed us from that. He's freed us to a different life. And so I hope that as you hear this teaching, as you heard Reagan's story, like you reflect on how God has been working in your life. What has he freed you from? What has he freed you to? Uh, when you all came in, you should have got a, a little card, a little white card. I want you to pull that out right now. Uh, if you did not get a response card, we have more at the prayer table in the back room. You can grab some. Uh, hopefully you have a pen handy. I've got a couple questions. I'm going to give you guys a few seconds to fill some of this in now, all right? Not, this isn't this homework. This is like, what can I take in this moment and walk out with? And so uh, let's look at this here. Because I am free in Christ, I will express my love for God this week by doing what? What can you start doing differently or stop doing that will allow you to start walking a better expression of loving God, freed up to love God fully? 
So how is that going to come online this for you this week? Secondly, because I'm free in Christ, I will express my love for others this week. Christ has freed you to help you be a blessing and a love agent to others. What can you start doing or stop doing this week to show a greater love for others? So I'm just going to give you guys a few seconds right now. Just pray, process, reflect. Write something down in those blanks. All right, go. As you're continuing those cards, let's just uh, talk to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is light. Your word is life. Sustenance for the soul. It's living, it's active, it convicts, it encourages, it guides. We thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for your spirit who moves in us and around us, calling us to obedience, calling us to newness, calling us to a full, abundant, abiding life in Christ. Father, together with with one heart, we just say we're sorry. We confess to you all the failures that times we have not loved you well, have not loved others well with our words, our actions, our attitudes. God, we're so sorry. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for continuing to sanctify and transform us. This process that every day is having its work and effect on us. We thank you for that. God, help us as individuals and as a community to love you well and love others well this week. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said? And if today you just have really go back to those two questions I asked earlier or through this time, you realize, I don't know Christ, or I'm not sure, or I'd just like to find out more. Uh, at the end of the service, myself and some others, we're going to be hanging out over here. Just come on up and say, hey, I'd love to talk more about that. We'd love to share and engage and talk with you and see what God has. Let's stand and let's, uh, let's spend some time celebrating, worshiping the Lord through music. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.